communicating with clients is the most important thing in this business. And you can do that no matter what type of veterinary you are. And that's kind of what the guy who hired me said. He said, I can teach you small animal medicine. I can't teach you how to communicate and how to deal with people. That's kind of something that you either understand or you don't. Welcome back to That Vet Life. In this week's episode, we are opening up the archives of season one to hear from the ever-amazing Dr. Tanasia Crocker. Tanasia is incredibly passionate about mentorship and inspiring the next generation of veterinarians. Listen along as she shares her story of mentorship and how it challenged her to create mentorship opportunities by connecting mentors and mentees. In this episode, we look at the questions of what is mentorship, how do you find a mentor, and how do you become a valuable mentee? I am always learning something new from Shanasia, so let's jump into today's episode. So I guess if we think about getting started, um, currently you're working in Smalley's, but you started in Equine. So I guess you want to take us back a little bit. Um, how, how did that all happen and transpire? Well, it's certainly not where I thought I would end up. I'm very happy where I am. But 10 years ago, when I graduated vet school, I was, you know, one of the horse girls. Like, had always done horses, ridden horses, shown horses, going to be an equine vet, no question, knew what I wanted to do, ambulatory. So I did an equine internship, absolutely loved it. I was in California at West Coast Equine and learned a lot, got a lot of field and hospital experience. And then I came back to Texas and I did ambulatory equine in the truck by myself, just grinding, working hard, um, being on call 50% of the time for three years and loved that. Um, It was hard, but I loved it. And then I had my first kid, which is kind of the story you'll hear from a lot of female veterinarians. And I tried to kind of renegotiate my contract um, and they weren't really open to me doing less on call. So... I had had actually one of my clients who owned a small animal practice ask me if I would ever come work for him every time I went out and took care of his miniature donkeys. And I said, no way, I'm the equine girl. And so I called him and said, hey, I may be interested in that job you were talking about. So I started doing relief work for him. And once people found out I would do relief, I pretty much was getting a million phone calls from small animal practices. Uh, If you are willing to do relief and especially surgeries, uh, people will contact you. So I was busy doing relief and part-time work for two-ish years. And then I went into full-time work at the small animal clinic that I'm at now. But I also do ER relief still. So a couple times a month, I'm over at the small animal emergency hospital that takes care of our clients uh, because I feel like they take care of our clients so we can help them out and I get a little bit of emergency work which my husband says fuels my equine desire to just be thrown in the mix and (laughs) have to deal with stuff (laughs) so so it was definitely a a big shift and I am happy it happened because we've had another kid since then and I obviously have more time not being on call and I have a much more flexible schedule which allows me to do more speaking and other things outside of, you know, just general practice. But it has been a interesting road and not one that I thought I was going to take 10 years ago. That is an interesting story, I think, because 
There are a fair number of uh, people who start out equine or equine, <laughs> depending on what side <laughs> of the pond you're from. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and then they end up going to smallies for one reason or another. And I think you hit on a, a big point of that was just it's a shift in what your life requires. Um, and for you, you needed a little bit more of a flexible schedule. But w- did you have any concerns of going from being working with horses every single day to being inside and working with small animal? Yes, about a million. I have never been one, though, to shy away from change. I grew up in four different states, went to seven different schools. So I think I've learned to be pretty flexible and go with the flow, which has really served me well in this profession in general. But when I started small animal, I had never done a dental. I had never done anal glands. I had avoided a lot of things in vet school because I tracked a large animal that I thought I would never need. And so it really was a learn on the job type experience. Uh, I hadn't done a spay or neuter in, you know, years. So luckily, I think from my equine background of, again, just being able to kind of jump into a situation and, and kind of communicate what I need, I didn't have a huge struggle in learning what I needed to learn. Um, and really communicating with clients is the most important thing in this business. And you can do that no matter what type of veterinarian you are. And that's kind of what the guy who hired me said. He said, I can teach you small animal medicine. I can't teach you how to communicate and how to deal with people. That's kind of something that you either understand or you don't. So I don't, I had a lot of things that I was concerned about, um, and that I had to learn, but I wasn't ever really worried about it because I knew it would come for me. And that's just my personality, I guess. I think that's a really good mindset to have, regardless of where you are in veterinary medicine. Just, I feel like a lot of times when we switch from one thing to another, we get that kind of imposter syndrome where it's like, oh, I haven't been in this field. I'm not going to be able to do it as well as others. But for you to kind of say, you know what? I don't know it yet, but I will know it eventually. And just kind of got stuck in and that really shows when you're working with your colleagues and it also really shows when you're working with your clients. Um, and I, I really love how you hit on the client communication aspect, which after doing a little bit of work in the horse world, I know that like as a horse vet, I feel like they have some of the best client communication because you're literally out by yourself on these farms and you don't have the option of being like, oh, let me just step out of the consult room and go talk with my colleague about this. Um, yeah. You just yeah. are literally getting stared down by a horse show mom and you're like, I have to come up <laughs> with something right now. Uh, so that kind of think on your toes and just deal with it as you have to attitude. It transfers uh, wonderfully. Yeah, I your clients when you're a horse vet and like you said, you're out in the field, a lot of them do become kind of like family. Like I would have clients feed me. I would have clients when I was pregnant. I had so many baby gifts and, you know, we're so excited for you because you're at their homes, you're with their children, you're, you know, really in their lives, I think a little bit more than, you know, a small animal hospital visit. So I do think that you get a little more comfortable and you're on, you're still a professional level, but a little bit more of a, this is just a friend I'm talking to and that helps. And then if you can translate that to small animal, which I think that's hard, people try to act I need to be the doctor. I need to be professional. Really, you just need to listen to people and be able to understand why they're there, what their biggest concern is, and then help them figure out what needs to be done for their pet. 
And if you can just figure out that one big concern and the reason they're there, most of the time you can make it happen, even if you don't 100% know, you know, what's going on. So that's a really good point. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of that white coat effect where if you put the white coat on, suddenly you have to act like the white coat, where in fact, you're just right. you're just a person wearing the white coat. It's just there. <laughs> right. And they want to connect with you. I mean, if you can find something that someone has in common with you or something you're excited for them about in their life, or if you can just show compassion or empathy for, you know, the difficult time they're going through, they really just want that connection. They really, I've met some veterinarians that are not the nicest and maybe they're amazing, great veterinarians, but they possibly don't have the best clientele because people don't care as much what you know. They care if you care about them and about their pets. Mm -hmm. Being genuine with people. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So how did you what deal you with the, um, the learning curve then what happened? Because I'm thinking about it in the sense that you weren't completely on your own when you launched into these different clinics. Um, like, what did your support network look like? Well, I did have the main veterinarian who hired me and kind of convinced me to go over to the small animal side was definitely a mentor. Just in the way he had structured his business, the way he had trained clientele, uh, he really was vital in teaching me how to manage things in the small animal world. Um, he also is a great surgeon and very up to date on the latest medicine and, and diagnostics. So a lot of that, even though I had ultrasounded a horse, you know, a lot, I had to kind of translate that to small animal medicine. And even though I'd interpreted lab work a lot, learning the difference between dogs and cats was, you know, helpful. I had to relearn it, I guess, from vet school. So he definitely mentored me in the medical side of things. And then just also in the management of the patients and the clients, which it was different, like you said, being inside and having a hospital versus being out in the field. Um, huge difference. And then I actually drew a lot on fellow vet students I had graduated with that, you know, I could send a picture to or ask a question of. Um, it's nice with technology nowadays because you can get an automatic response from somebody. And I'd say, oh my gosh, what do you think about this on this cat? Or, you know, I have to do this today. What would you use for anesthesia? And it was a lot of reaching out and asking, but really reaching out and asking doesn't show weakness. It shows your willingness to learn and your willingness to grow. Um, and I think if you have the right support system in place, then you can, you can get what you need pretty quickly and it makes your job not as scary. And sometimes veterinary work can be very scary if you don't have that right system in place. So you mentioned the word mentor and today, of course, um, people kind of know we're talking about the topic of mentorship. So let's start going into that a little bit deeper. Um, like you mentioned, being a mentor was part of just your support ne network and helping you uh, feel comfortable in the new environment that you were in. But if we break that down a little bit more, I guess we'll ask the big question of what is mentorship actually? I think, and you've heard this a million times, but it's essentially a relationship where you have one person who is more experienced or knowledgeable in a certain field or a certain type of practice, and they basically are offering to be available to somebody younger who is wanting to learn and wanting to grow in that field or in that practice. And I think it has a lot of different levels to it. I think that you, when you're starting out and you're 
younger and you're just interested in veterinary medicine, you can shadow and you can have mentors who you ask about the profession and you learn more if you're just interested in in joining it. I think as vet students, you should definitely be having mentors who are helping you with career choices, direction, um, whether you need to do internships or not, even help you handle the stress of school. Um, And then obviously when you graduate, I think that's the one that people most commonly think of when you talk about mentorship is graduating and having a mentor you work with who talks to you and explains to you how things should flow in practice and and out in the real world, I guess. But it doesn't have to be that extreme of an almost daily communication type relationship. There's really different levels and layers and and different ways that you can structure mentorship and and availability, I guess, layers uh, that make a big difference in what somebody can or can't find. So a lot of people struggle and say, I can't find a mentor. I think maybe they feel like they need to find somebody who, you know, they're in this long-term relationship with, talk to all the time. And it really doesn't have to be that frequent of a communication. It needs to be somebody who'll pick up the phone when you call, but it doesn't have to be somebody that you work with on a daily basis, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VEDEX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VEDEX community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. I think you kind of hit it when you said right now people are thinking, oh, a mentor is someone that you have when you're in your job or something or maybe in vet school. But like you said, it goes like way earlier than that. You can have mentors back when you are in like high school and undergrad and it isn't going to necessarily be like a singular person. Chances are you have multiple mentors that cover a broad range of all the different aspects of your life. And it's just being able to have those people that you know you can always go to them. You know you can, that they genuinely care about (laughs) your needs and your wants. Um, So that's, I think, a really big thing for students to kind of wrap their heads around to be like, oh, I don't need to find a mentor later. Like if you are wondering about having a mentor, the time is now, honestly. So then uh, you talked about having layers and different levels of mentorship. But first, I guess, let's talk about finding that mentor. Say you will talk about um, your kind of generic vet student, since that's most of the people that are listening to this. Um, What would you recommend to them? I think that there's a ton of opportunities out there. At least there were, you know, when I was a, a vet student and I think you find those opportunities by 
just being available and keeping your eyes open. So you don't have a lot of free time in, in veterinary school and that's just a given. Obviously you have breaks and you have, uh, you know, spring break, Christmas break when you, before you start clinics, the majority of the time. And I think even just a simple ride along or having lunch with a local veterinarian and checking in on breaks is important to kind of gauge where you're at and what direction you're headed in and see, you know, if they have any perspective on what you're thinking about post-graduation in school, there's tons of clinicians and professors, and most of them are there because they love students and they want to teach them. And so I think if you find the right personality for your personality, you can really find somebody who will care about you, who will encourage you, who will maybe push you a little bit into things you might not have thought about or have been comfortable with. I personally found my mentor um, by taking a student worker position. And so I was an office aide for one of the main researchers at Texas A&M, Dr. Noah Cohen, who is amazing. And I basically cleaned his office and looked up articles for him because he's a big researcher. Um, I helped him on two different projects. And so we drew blood, did statistical analysis. A lot of the stuff um, I could take home and just do data entry occasionally at home. And then just, you know, an hour or two there um, every couple of days to get him what he needed for his projects. But it just was a relationship where I was paid to be a student worker. And then as we spent more time together, I came to understand that he was a man who was very encouraging, um, had a lot to offer me just in terms of how I wanted to be as a veterinarian. He is probably one of the most upstanding uh, people I've ever met in this profession, honest, um, and truly, truly cares. And so from seeing that aspect of his personality and then we got along really well um we just grew this great friendship you know relationship and I still I went down to A&M the other day uh and it's 14 years later and I called him I didn't tell him I was coming in town and I said hey guess what I'm in town I know you probably don't have time and he said oh my gosh where are you I'm out drawing blood for a research thing and I'll come meet you as, as I'm done and he drove over to the horse show arena and took me to lunch and we caught up and it was awesome um, so I think you have to put yourself out there in areas of maybe the vet school or the community that you're interested in. And then when you see other people who have the same interests or have personalities that you want to model yourself after, then you form those relationships and then that turns into mentorship. But it's not necessarily, I went into that job saying, I need a mentor. Let me go work in his office. It was me just looking for opportunities to, learn and serve and volunteer. And then those turned into mentorship uh, relationships, if that makes sense. No, that that totally makes sense. You weren't going into it thinking, okay, what can I get out of this? Right. It was a, how can I um, work with someone and actually help them as well? Um, so I guess that is kind of like the next question then. So how can you be a good mentee? I, I think you hit it on the head where you have to understand what someone else needs also. Um, and you have to be willing to put in the work. Um, and you don't have a lot of extra times. I maybe, maybe did student worker stuff four to six hours a week. I mean, it wasn't a ton of extra time, but I, that time obviously served me very well in the long run because it's, I've really benefited from it. Um, but I showed up, I was on time. I was willing to do whatever I needed to do, um, to show that I, wanted to learn more in this profession. I was passionate about it. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things is putting yourself out there saying, I want to learn what can I do? 
being in uncomfortable situations. I have never done statistical analysis, data entry before, but he asked and I said, sure, I'll figure it out. Um, so I think you have to be willing to do things that are out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, and I've never been one to worry about someone saying no. I, I mean, the worst thing that happens is they say no and then you move on. So a little bit of just being bold um, and looking for opportunities. And when the door opens that you run through it, that you don't think about it too long, you don't overanalyze because we are type A and we overanalyze everything. But instead you run through it and you see what's on the other side because most of the time it's going to be something um, that you didn't think was even possible or didn't think you would experience. And I think that that's the great thing about this profession is there's levels and layers that are awesome and you need to get in there and really do it. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, just the kind of getting after it. And like you said, we're type A, we're going to try and think about it, but just kind of go for it. <laughs> and I think, yeah, a, it, I think a lot of times that, right. that um, like people think, oh, to find a mentor, you have to go to them and ask, are you, can you be my mentor? But I feel like a lot of times, like I have, I've never asked someone explicitly, can you be my mentor? It's just kind of we've fallen into this relationship where I know that if I text them or something that they'll respond and um, the same the other way, like if they'll just message me out of the blue, like it's just a normal kind of friendship relationship. Um, it's not this kind of explicit thing where you have to go, will you be my mentor? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, nowadays I, I've heard that they're telling students to actually write potentially into like contracts that you're going to be mentored at your job. And I just think that's so interesting because I don't think that would even have to be something written. I mean, if you should have a sense and a feeling going into a practice or going into a job that these people are, want you to, to succeed and they're going to be there for you and be available for you. And honestly, I think even if something's written in a contract, people do don't have to abide by it. Right. So I, I think that it's kind of silly to say, get it written down because then they'll do it. You either know that they're going to do what you need them to do without it being said, or you just don't have that feeling. Um, and I, I do see so many veterinarians currently who say, you know, I'm all alone and, and they're really unhappy in their situations. And I know tons of great practices that are looking and I wish more people were willing to make a change or to do what they needed to do for their own well-being versus feeling stuck because there are so many opportunities in this industry. And if you get stuck, you have to kind of unstick yourself and move on. Um, but by saying if it's in a contract, it's going to happen. Unfortunately, I don't think that's always how the real world works. No, not not at all. I, I've Granted, I'm still in that stage where I haven't started the interview process for jobs. But that is something that they that the conversation it keeps coming up in conversation about when you go to your interview to talk about what kind of mentorship is going to be offered, maybe not in the sense of that personal like relationship kind of mentorship, but what kind of guidance the senior vets are willing to offer. But I think that comes back to what you're saying about different levels of mentorship and um, asking the questions of saying maybe you're a brand new vet and you're still like really, really shaky about things and you want some hand-holding. Um, but maybe the veterinary practice that you're applying to isn't looking for a first year, like a fresh out of vet school graduate. So they're not able to offer the hand-holding. So 
I'll, I'll leave it over to you to talk about the different levels and how to have that conversation. Well, in practice, you definitely, time is limited depending on the practice you go to. And so I think the very direct questions you can ask is, will there be other veterinarians available when I'm doing surgery to help me if I need it? Or will I be able to do surgery or have assistance in surgery from other veterinarians? If they're all in appointments during your surgery time, then that's not going to work, right? So there are very specific things you can ask that will kind of show you without asking, will you mentor me, um, whether or not they're going to be available. Um, I do think that, that when you're a student, you don't need someone because you already have a, someone teaching you surgery. So you don't need that level of mentorship. What you need is somebody that if you are wondering, should I go into large animal medicine versus mixed animal practice or where should I be looking for internships or I'm thinking about going to this place, is does this place have a good reputation? I think that that's where the mentors um, show value because you go to them and they say, well, what type of practice do you want and what lifestyle do you want? And they don't necessarily tell you, yes, go into mixed animal practice or no, don't do this. I, I don't think they tell you what to do. I think there are people you bounce ideas and questions off of and then are able to walk you through and help you realize what ultimately you already know, right? Um, and that's one of the, the things that's really important. But that even doesn't have to be done in, physically in person. There's so many people out there via Instagram, um, the phone, email. I have people email me all the time now um, because it's easier to answer versus DMs, um, asking me very specific questions about, you know, pre-vet and, and vet student type opportunities. And so it's great to be able to ask them questions in return and help them work through some of those things. But I've never met them in person. And so I still feel like that's maybe a level of mentorship, right? I'm able to offer insight being 10 years out of school. So I think you have to broaden your your horizon and think about, you know, how many veterinarians are out there that have the knowledge and the experience that could offer you levels or assistance in determining your next steps. Um, and that's still mentorship. It's not seeing them every day at practice, but it's still mentorship in in my opinion. No, I like how you broke it down because I, I know for myself, I had this idea of like, okay, what is the mentor I need? Um, but really just having it in the idea of, okay, so maybe a mentor is just someone that you can message on Instagram. And then I think about the number of people that have messaged me as well. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes me a mentor. Uh -huh. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, a, it's pretty cool when you start thinking about it in that sense of you're no longer someone who is constantly looking for other people's input um, as a sounding board. But everybody has from their own story of life um, has their own experience that other people can learn from and benefit from. So everybody in their own way can be a mentor. So yes, you helped mentor me on <laughs> setting up a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> how to work all this crazy equipment. No. <laughs> so yeah. I, and that's the thing, right? Is you have to understand your own value and what you, you have to offer the world. And then you have to understand that there's a lot of people out there that want to help students and want to help pre-vet students. And they just don't have that connection with them because they're really busy, but they have the desire. I have tons of uh, DM messages after my mentorship posts on Instagram of vets 
saying, oh my gosh, I would love to mentor. Um, even telling me I live here, I do mixed animal practice. I would love for students to come watch surgeries. I would love, and you have this huge group of veterinarians who want to do more with students and interact with them more. And you have this huge group of students saying, we love the hands-on and we want to talk to people out in practice, but nobody is connecting. And so I think the students have to be the ones maybe to to be more putting themselves out there and looking for the opportunities. But I think that they need to understand that there are there are people out there who who desire that and who want to get back to the industry by helping the younger generation. And then as those younger vets to realize that it's not just going to be a they get to get something from all of these interactions, but um, how right. do they then provide and um, put their own little input into it? Well, I think you should always bring a Starbucks coffee. No, <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> Cupcakes and Starbucks. No, we'll go a long way. I think that you, I used to have students when I was an equine vet shadow me all the time. And there's several that I'm really close to still. And they basically just rode around with me and acted as my technician. Um, and they did all the not fun jobs of cleaning up after procedures and holding angry horses for me and getting dirty and sweaty. But that really helped me a lot. I didn't have a tech um, unless I had a ride along. And so I do think that that um, was something that I was always looking for and always interested in. Um, I wrote letters for majority of those people for different programs they were applying to. Um, one did go to vet school. One decided not to apply and is going the medical school route. But I do think that you have to be willing to do a little bit of work and a little bit of um, hard work sometimes. Um, but that, that will open the door. If I see you're willing to work hard and pay attention and ask questions and jump in, I am going to be wanting to just pour into you because you're showing me that you have the drive and you have the love for this profession that you need to be successful and to eventually give back to the profession as a whole. I think that is a message that will go a long way with every every vet student. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life.